you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey there. Happy 4th of July. You're listening to the Bustle Huddle, and I'm your host, Caitlin Aber. This week, we're celebrating Bustle's All-American series with an exploration of Latinx beauty from New York to L.A. and everywhere in between. This episode is sponsored by McDonald's and their new McCafe Cold Brew Frozen Coffee. Try it out when you need something colder than your average cold brew. Today, we're exploring what makes beauty so significant in the Latinx community with conversation between celebrity manicurist Elizabeth Garcia and Elite Daily senior editor and poet Brittany Leitner and words from comedian and actress Ex Mayo and writer Angie Jaime. But first, a word from Bustle's fashion and beauty editor, Sarah Tan, on what the All-American series means to her. The idea for All-American came about when Amanda Richards, our fashion and beauty features editor, and I were brainstorming ideas. Naturally, we thought about July 4th. It's a huge holiday for our country. It's a chance for everyone to celebrate the USA and to feel proud. The best thing about the United States to me is the diversity of our country. I find that the people who are proudest to be American are sometimes the ones who weren't even born here and the ones who immigrated into this country to live out their American dream. All American will tell the stories of the product of those people who immigrated into this country, the women who are first and second generation Americans, I personally really relate to uh, the women that we highlighted in this series. My dad immigrated into this country through the Mexican border from the Philippines, and my mom and two older sisters followed shortly after. I grew up in a predominantly white suburban neighborhood in Southern California. There were people that, you know, teased me for having really small eyes and all these different things. You know, I never saw myself uh, on TV. I never saw myself in magazines. You know, I, I didn't have any role models that looked like me. And so, you know, I wanted blonde hair. I wanted to be taller. I wanted to eat Lunchables and like sandwiches for lunch. But like my mom would pack me like rice and, and meat. And I was like embarrassed to eat it. So like all of that obviously affected the way that I, I perceived myself. But You know, as I've gotten older, I've grown to become so, so proud of my background, my Chinese and Filipino background. I want to be a champion for girls who felt like me, who felt like they looked really different. I feel super lucky that through this job that I get the chance to help others like me tell their stories like mine so we can, you know, help others feel a little less alone. Up next, comedian X Mayo's Beauty Philosophy. Hi, my name is X. I am 30 years old, originally from Los Angeles, California, currently residing here in the Big Apple, and I am a comedian, actor, writer, and a servant. 
I am Afro-Latina. My mom came here from Mexico, from Zacatecas, when she was like 14. And then my dad is from South Central L.A., and he's black. So it's a beautiful mix, and I love it. Growing up in L.A. and growing up as Afro-Latina, I honestly am so blessed to have the best of both worlds, especially when it comes to fashion. Watching my mom, uh, her dress. Now, um, Latinas, there's like we love makeup. We do it like we are at the top of the game when it comes to like makeup and like dressing. And like my mom, her old photos, she was always in heels. She wore heels with sweats. And so to have that influence, like my mom really loves ruffles and like the big choices in like bold and bright colors. And then um, my dad is very big on like lines, like clean. Like if it's like a purple shoe, then it'll be like a purple shirt, but like the pants will be black. So he'll like offset it and then especially like the black culture and community and also I was born and raised in church so I love hats and I love women who like sit up and I love a good pantyhose and a nice little peep toe that's what I saw like growing up and also hip-hop influenced my style so much growing up because like I wanted to be Debrat so bad like I begged my mom I was like mom I'm gonna be a rapper she was like you're gonna be a doctor and I come to this country for you to be a rapper I was like well god bless I'm gonna be a rapper and I got straight A's for her to do my little we call them chonguitos like um ponytails like Debrat and she did like 60 of them and I had barrettes at the bottom of each one and I wore like a gold chain and I went to school and I was like click clack and like I am a rapper. Respect me. <laughs> Performing as a as a comedian, I always like to look cute. So my style had to change just to fit comfortability and then so no one sees my panties. Because mama loves dresses. I love skirts. I love dresses. But now I do improv and I do solo shit and I do like comedic monologues. And I'm like, I get physical and then especially with improv you don't know what you're gonna do so my style has shifted like literally I shop for things and I'm like could I do improv in this okay no so I can't get it I like dope sneakers and cute sweats or sequin gowns <laughs> so I have like no middle I hate when people are like oh it's business cash I said so sequin <laughs> I really dress like I'm going to the gym or quinceanera that's it I think that Latinos we just love being fly all my cousins, everybody I just know, and even, like, <laughs> my homeboy Will Martinez, he's Puerto Rican. He always jokes. He's like, X, you got so much money. Every time I see you, you got new hair. And you know? And it's just like, I get that from my mom. Like, she just dyed her hair red and cut it. And it's just like, growing up, seeing that, like, I love seeing Latinas. Like, when we wear our makeup, we love, because I'm a chola through and through. Like, right now, with this, especially with this point, like, I love dark lip. I love long nails. I love even, like, Cardi. Like, I love Cardi, especially now. Like, now she's on her rise, and she's got all her money. She's a huge megastar. And, like, the extravagantness, the boldness of it, that's Latinas. Like, we are bold. We are here. We make a statement. And it's reflective in our clothes, and we make no apologies. And that's reflective in our fashion, our hair, and it's just instilled in us. Like, grooming is so big in the Hispanic community. It's just like, what are you, like, ¿Qué estás haciendo? Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you looking like this? Is everything okay? You know? Like, what is happening? And so it's big, and I love, like, all the whole spectrum of Latinos because some of us are fly and it's like grunge some of us are fly and it's just like nerdy some of us are fly it's like whatever version of it is whatever type of 
style that we take, we own it, no matter what type it is. One thing that I took from my mom, and I hate that I can't anymore because I wear contacts, was her nails. My mom had the best nails, and like I begged her, and I was so excited when I turned 13, I made the honor roll, and I got nails. They were really short, and I wanted them long and like, like my mom. <laughs> And she always had like multiple colors and stuff like that. That's why I was so happy when I got like 17 and she was like, you can have nails, you can do it on your own. Oh, I was getting my nails done every week. So one thing that I would always see with my mom and even when she like, she has polio on one knee and she broke her other one, she still wears heels. My mom will wear a pair of heels and she always said, Miha, you gotta have a good heel. She was like, don't spend money on nothing but heels and purses because that's what people look at. If you got a good heel, if you got a good purse, like it makes the whole outfit. My mom always has on a red lip. I don't care if she just rolled out of bed and she brushes her teeth and she's taking me to the airport, she puts on her lipstick. Like she's like, no, I have to have my lipstick. And that was the first thing that I stole from her, like wanting to like be like grown. And she didn't let me wear eyeliner until I was like 16. And even then it was like really thin, like, not like bold, like chola, how I like it. I like it like really dark. Since I was born, my mom told me that I'm the prettiest girl in the world. And the thing is, she was nervous because all my cousins had more manageable hair. Mine's came out very, very coarse and we're all black and Mexican. So she was like, this is the same formula. So what happened? What happened? Because I thought you, I thought you mixed like red with blue and you make purple. Why is this green? <laughs> like what is happening? And, um... So my aunt who are black was like, Mm-mm, you better not perm her hair up. Don't you do that. Like, this is what you need to do. You need to do this. This is how you plait it. And my mom, like, did my hair. And the thing is, my hair, like, my mom took so much pride in it and, like, conditioning it and washing it and plaiting it. My mom never put a perm in my hair. That was never allowed. She made me hold my hair to, like, such a high standard because nobody could really do it. She didn't let other people play in it. It was like, nope. And then it was like a rite of passage, I'll say, when I turned 13 and she let me get my hair pressed for the first time. And I had to get straight A's. I'm writing a sketch about that, like, how big of a deal that is to get your hair pressed. And also, like, as a black girl, you get it pressed on a pressing comb on a stove. An actual stove. So there's a hot comb. And it's so funny, all the different things that we have to use to, like, hold our ear down so that we can get our edges, like, back here. And, like, my mom sometimes would use, like, a wooden spoon, a, a silver spoon. It's, like, that moment for a little girl, you tell everybody, like, I'm getting my hair pressed. Like, my mom's going to press my hair. Like, it's going to be straight. But uh, that was so important even for my mom to be like, you're getting your hair straight because you want to, not because you look better with it straight just so we're clear. Like my mom, she was very big, like you're getting it because you got good grades and you just want to see what your hair can do. And it's great that your hair can do all these things, but this does not mean anything. Are we clear? And I'm like, yeah, ma. And she's like, okay. My mom just showed me the confidence in, in, in loving who I am because for my quinceanera, and if you're not familiar, quinceanera is like a sweet 15, so like the sweet 16 in America, but in the Hispanic community, it's um, sweet 15. And so like you get like your last like quote unquote doll. And so my mom had already told the guy who was making the doll like, my daughter is black. This is what she looks like because the doll's supposed to look like you. And we went to go pick it up and the doll is like brown skin but has blue eyes and like really straight hair with like a little curl at the bottom. My mom was like, what did I say? Like, my daughter is black. This is not like my daughter. You need to go back and you need to make another doll. 
And that was, in that, like, watching my mom, I was like, wow, she is Scarface. <laughs> it's like, my mom, honestly, is Manan Sheila, could run the world. <laughs> Rajneesh, I'm telling you, my mom and Sheila are probably sipping tea on a porch right now. Seriously, my mom could run the world. I just watched her and I was just like, she just makes things happen. My mom would be like, Mija, you're black and you're Mexican. Don't let nobody tell you you're more than one and then the other. Because if you deny being black, you deny your father. If you deny being Mexican, you deny me. You don't have to choose. You're both. And that's just it. And so I always walked with my head held high. And, like, my mom just gave me this sense of confidence. So my existence is a form of resistance. You know, like, wearing my fro now during this political climate does feel like it's a thing amongst black people that's so special. My fro, no lie, it really is like one of the best fros in the world. Like I love my hair. It's gorgeous and I've never gotten it groomed to like sit a certain way. I just pick it out and it just like sits so pretty. And I always gotten love from my fro, but during this political climate, during the current state of our country, walking around with it, it gives far more. It's a statement, and it's like an act of resistance and dismantles the stereotype that white America has created of what is beauty or what is acceptable. It's an energy in the world that we all feel. And when I walk outside with that fro, or even a woman saw me picking it out on the train, she just walked up to me and just like smiled. Like, it just means so much that that's happening. When I'm on stage, you know who I am, because my skin tone and my hair. I am Afro-Latina and my hair is thick and coarse and an Afro. And it's beautiful. I don't have a problem with it. Other people do, which is sad. And we pray for them. But when I'm on stage, if someone who is not a person of color, like, does something that's racist, I'm always mindful who said it, and I weigh intentions before actions because a lot of people are ignorant. So when I'm on stage and that happens, you know, I've gotten better at being quicker on my feet. I do something that will let them see that they messed up and what they did was inappropriate and not okay, and then I make them laugh and even the audience laugh, and then we edit the scene and we keep it moving. So I don't need to give like a mountaintop speech on why what you did was messed up. We can have a conversation about it after the fact if I feel like it because it's not my job to teach you anything. But I do pick and choose my battles because if I don't say anything, then how will they know? And when I communicate, it's not to get someone to agree with me. It's to get you to hear where I'm coming from. And you don't even have to agree with me after the fact, but what you can't claim is ignorance. You can't say you didn't know. So I am trying to affect change, but I know that I can't change people. So I just do my best all the time. You can follow XMayo at $80 and a suitcase on Instagram. Elite Daily's Brittany Leitner sat down with celebrity manicurist Elizabeth Garcia, who's done the nails of everyone from Kelly Clarkson to Orange is the New Black's Jackie Cruz to talk about how their personal style has been influenced by their Latinx identities. So I'm getting my nails done with Elizabeth Garcia, who's a celebrity manicurist and also salon owner. What's the name of your salon? It's called The Nail Room. And what's the MO there? What is your whole vibe? I wanted it to be a place where women could come and feel empowered mm-hmm. and f- leave feeling even more beautiful with their nails and feeling 
accomplished and you know fears with their extensions or whatever they decide to do on their nails we go through so many things as mothers as wives as daughters and you have to juggle everything and i feel like we forget about ourselves a lot and mm-hmm. we should practice more like self-care self-love that's something that connects a lot with your mental health a lot of people right now they want to go with something neutral that's what i brought more or less Cool. Let's start removing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what we have. So, do you want to talk more about like how you got started? Yes, I was a teen mom. I had my son when I was fourteen. I felt very like lonely. I didn't feel like you know I was able to talk to my mom about certain things that I was going through. Uh, just because she was a single mom and she just started working, working, working since the day she got here. And that's all she ever did, you know, as an immigrant parent and single parent. So I didn't really know how to open up with her. And I ended up depressed at age 14. And I ended up just coming, well, with this conclusion of let me have a baby to actually have a motivation or something to live for, you know. And I didn't know that counseling was available, therapists were available. Like, I didn't know that was out there, you know. Yeah. And I that's something that just in our culture, I, you don't really talk about with your parents. It's kind of like a taboo. One day from sc- after school, I came, I came home and my mom opens the fridge and she's like, hey, you have to be responsible now. You're an adult now. You have a baby. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm 14. (laughs) She's like, yeah, but you weren't thinking of that, were you, when you decided to become pregnant? Oh, gosh. I'm like, where is this leading to? She's like, look, I made space in the refrigerator. You need to buy your own milk, your own vegetables, your own salt, your own oil. Like every, even toilet paper. (laughs) Back then, I had to pay $500. And she just showed me that hardcore, like, tough love. But back then, I didn't understand it that way. I was super shocked. I hated her, you know, at that moment. I'm like, what is this lady doing to me? Like, you know, I'm going through all this emotional stuff. I just had a baby, and I'm going to school. How am I supposed to pay this? One day, walking into a little shop, I saw a poster that said, Nail Technician Needed, Mm -hmm. part-time. So I'm like, okay, well, I have this pressure of these expenses, this, this responsibility. Um, I'm just going to go in and see what's up. <laughs> because I was taking a trade class back then in school, in high school. They tested me with the typical red and white. That's how they test you. If what you know how mean? to paint, like a red <laughs> and white polish. If oh. you know how to paint and a nail properly and it doesn't bleed or it doesn't, you know, okay. you don't mess up. You're like basically like, okay, you're qualified to do nails. Okay. So they did the ultimate test of that. The red red and white polish. And they're like, okay, well, you're good. Um, When can you start? I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I like doing nails. I thought, I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, I'm having fun. I'm going to work having, you know, a blast. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a fashion designer and then an architect. So I was always doodling my whole leg life. So that was like the perfect job. Back then there were swirls and all these crazy miscellaneous colorful lines going on that was trending, airbrushing. And the most people would get was a French manicure. But I would kind of flip it around and do like colorful French Mm -hmm. manicures. And they, I would kind of get people out of their comfort zone. Then I went to the city, ended up doing photo shoots for, you know, just upcoming magazines. And here I am. (laughs) 
15 years later. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yes. All right, so after now that we are done with removing the polish, I am going to file, which is squovo, because I see that you have that shape. Yeah. It's like a square. Um, square well, it's oval a flat, combo? Yeah, it's, like a, <laughs> it's square on the edge and it's round on the corners. When did you start working with celebrities or how did that happen? I did connect with a stylist back uh, five years in. I think she was going to style DeAndre Forrest. And we ended up doing a photo shoot in Brooklyn. And back then, I think the whole Instagram game was kind of like upcoming. So I learned how to like use that to my advantage. Mm -hmm. Tagging brands. And that's how I ended up sort of connecting with more photographers and more stylists. And until they referred me, there's this hairstylist. She knows a friend from Kelly Clarkson's. And you could say that that was my first celebrity client, Kelly Clarkson. It kind of all unfolded from there. Like all of these like managers ended up getting my number mm-hmm. or like just, hey, do you know somebody that does nails? Or yes, yes, yes. And I would actually go to people's hotels or, you know, do house calls. That was mm-hmm. what I used to do. Just And, and then next thing you know, L- Lauren Hill's manager is calling me. And the oh next gosh. thing you know, it's, you know, somebody wants somebody for Cardi B. But I didn't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just finishing up here. You said you were an artist first, right, before you started discovering that you could do that with nails. Was that kind of your first, like, escape in high school from everything you were dealing with? Yes. Um, Since I was little, I used to come home and not come watch cartoons. I would turn on the TV and watch Bob Ross. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That was, like, the ultimate... Very calming. Yes, very calming, (laughs) very soothing. I just found that art was very therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. Just kind of get, you know, lost in the world of, like, color and pencils and charcoals and crayons and any, any, any possible medium that I could get my hands on. I did go through bullying just because I was into different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just my mom would even pack lunch for me and she would pack, like, Mexican food and I would be like, Mom, I'm not taking this to school. <laughs> I did once and they made fun of me. And oh, after that, yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't want to take this to school. Like, Mom, please don't ever pack uh, enchiladas or tacos or tortas, you know? Yeah. Like, people think it's disgusting, you know? It smells different. Like, mm-hmm. everybody in school has mac and cheese, peanut butter jelly, like, yeah. and they see this food that they're not used to seeing. That was the first time that I kind of, like, shoved my kind of culture away because I was embarrassed, you know, but I didn't get why I was being embarrassed, you know? Yeah, you just knew, like, it's different, different, must be bad. Yes, yes, absolutely. So what's it like growing up in the city or near the city, like, and being Mexican? Well, I was raised in Queens. I grew up around a lot of Asian people, uh, Koreans, Chinese. They were, like, my best friends. A lot of us are first generation here. We more or less uh, understand, like, the things that our parents, you know, eat or how they talk or the traditions. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really get to know a lot of Mexican-Americans like me until I hit junior high school. And then I just come to this eighth grade year. I come to the school and I just meet a bunch of, you know, kids like me. And I'm like, wow, these kids have fun. And these kids after school go 
buy a torta, you know, in the deli. Like, why should I be ashamed of it? You know, yeah. they're not ashamed of it. So I started exploring that. And I started, you know, yeah, like, teaching class. And eventually, <laughs> That's like... That's a side note to yeah. the story. <laughs> and I started, you know, learning about the music mm-hmm. and dancing. And, you know, I was never taught that. Yeah. And I liked it. And I started liking it more and more. And I just started just hanging out with more Hispanic friends. And I'm like, wait, I feel like, you know, I feel loved. I feel like this is, you know, like a family. Mm-hmm. And why not, you know, embrace this as well? Yeah. So that's when I really, like, became familiar with it and just started not caring and just saying, well, yeah, Mexican. You mm-hmm. know, there's, I, I love paletas. So I started, like, buying those candies that come with chili and. Like, what is it, the, Lucas? The, the elote <laughs> paletas, Yes. Did you grow up speaking Spanish, too? Yes. That was another thing. Uh, we spoke Spanglish. There are certain words that I will not know in Spanish, and I'll just throw in English to my mom. And yeah. she, like, gets it because she's been here for, like, 30 years. My mom always said she could never speak Spanish to, like, anyone in Mexico or in Spain. It's just, like, the weird version of, like, Texas-American yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yes. Like, I had to come home and speak Spanish to her and go to school and speak English, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, you know, like double the work. And you're your mom's connection to like American schooling and everything that's going on. Yes. I ended up just doing homework myself. Like I could not ask her for help because she didn't know the language. She didn't know how to read the language. I sometimes had to sign my own like school tests Mm -hmm. because she would come home really late, really tired, even though I was very young. Yeah. I sort of like understood, oh, you know, I don't want to make her feel bad because she doesn't know the language. Yeah. I'll just figure it out. I'll figure Mm -hmm. it out. I always grew up like that. I'll figure it out. And I apply a lot of that into my work now. Somebody comes and tells me, hey, uh, can you, I want dollar bills in my nails. Like can real dollar is, bills. Yeah, like real dollar <laughs> bills. Can we make that happen? I'm just like, no, I don't know. Like deep in my head, I'm like, I don't, but I'll figure it out and yeah. I'll make it happen for you. So I, I've always been that kind of person. Like I will execute your vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just cleaning your nails now. Let's transfer to the other one. So how do you feel like you came into your own with your personal style. I'm also just looking at your makeup (laughs) in general, and I think I'm noticing it because I'm not wearing my wings today, but I literally wear them every single day, and it's like minimalist makeup brands that came out. I feel like I have such a hard time understanding the looks, and I'm like, I love a huge, bold eye. I love mascara on my eyes all the time. So, like, where did you get your beauty inspiration growing up? From my mom. Uh, My mother, she used to sell products part-time. Well, she had her own full-time job. And she had a little catalog that everybody, I think, used to sell from called Mary Kay. Right. Or Or Amway or something. Amway, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amway was big. I did see my mom, you know, ordering all of these uh, lipsticks Mm -hmm. and having her little, like, shelf over there, you know, full of, like, creams and makeup. And I got very curious with the lipsticks. So I would (laughs) kind of, like, when she would go work, I would peek into her closet. I loved seeing a new lipstick. Yeah. (laughs) So I would just kind of, like, roll it up and, like, kind of swatch it. Mm -hmm. But in a way that she wouldn't notice because I'm like, okay, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. But I'm really curious to see what the texture is. But, you know, how can I do it without her noticing? So I would kind of, like play around mm-hmm. but she would notice <laughs> but she just never told me anything <laughs> so you know now ironically my daughter does it to me <laughs> <laughs> right I'm sure yeah. this is like 
every little girl's dream. Yes, we, we, I am, I think that's where, like, that beauty uh, spark came from. I used to see her collecting nail polishes and just having her vanity area. Yeah. You know, everybody loves a vanity, vanity area. She used to work in a factory, so she never really used to wear nail polish, mm-hmm. but she loved collecting it and she loved just, you know, having there in display. And one day she made a comment and said, Ellie, like, I would love for you to start collecting nail polishes and just displaying them like that. They look very pretty. And it just turns out that I have now, like, a whole nail room salon. That's so funny. And I ended up doing that for a living. Nail polish is so interesting, too. I don't. I feel like it's such a small, affordable luxury, but it makes you feel so, like, you got something new, and even though it's, like, what, five bucks or something yes. like that? Yes, yes. It just depends on the kind of mood you're in, too. So now we're going to apply base before your nail polish application did we uh choose one yet (laughs) (laughs) you mean uh did i choose one yes i kind of feel like i want to just let you do whatever you want all right i'm gonna leave it up to you let's do something fun who's your dream person to work with my dream person jay baldwin even (laughs) though i will not do nail art i'm such (laughs) a fan I i feel like i don't get starstruck anymore but with him i think i would I don't know, (laughs) start like shaking or something and get nervous. So even if it's just to, you know, trim a little bit and push the cuticles, I'm definitely (laughs) down with that. PSA. (laughs) So how can everyone see your nail designs? What's your Instagram? My Instagram is nails underscore by E-L-Y, nails by Ellie. Do you let anyone do your nails? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm very meticulous and particular about certain (laughs) things so I just kind of like do it myself and I actually relax myself doing my own nails I just buy a bottle of wine put on Netflix and do my nails and that's just it and I tell my husband I'm gonna zone out please take care of the baby he's very supportive All right, we are done amazing we created a nude it's more or less like a orange peachy nude with bright neon peachy dots that alternate from the cuticles and the tip back and forth back and forth amazing thank you so yes, much yes absolutely let's do quick dry that's something that okay. speeds up the process too the drying process thank you so much for doing my manicure absolutely. and talking about all of this with my, me my pleasure thank you for inviting me and thank you for for the lovely combo If you want to get your nails done by Elizabeth, all the details are in our show description. It's important to remember that nobody is one single identity. We're all a whole bunch of things, as writer Angie Jaime points out. My name is Angie Jaime. I am 29 years old, and I live in Los Angeles, California. I am Mexican-American, a first-generation American. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. My parents emigrated to this country in the early 70s. In my home specifically, the culture around beauty and fashion was kind of informed on both sides from a Mexican perspective of a certain amount of modesty, traditional gender roles. And then on the flip side, growing up in in America in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, it was a time of a lot of pushing up against those gender norms and punk and grunge. So... It was a bit of a push and pull for sure.
I grew up in a household with three older siblings who were vastly older than I. They definitely led the charge, all three of them, but really my second oldest sister. As someone who was just really curious and exploring ways where she could sort of push up against conformity and sort of traditional structures uh, for what women were expected to do and, and be and feel when we were being introduced to people like Frida Kahlo, as well as different punk music that she was also listening to at the time. She and I ended up spending a lot of time together. She was my primary babysitter and her influence was was pretty big on, on my, my look, my fashion, the sort of early attitudes I had about all of it. My sister's look was first and foremost very, very DIY. We grew up, you know, pretty working class. She really wanted to emulate the kind of things that she saw in punk shows, hardcore, goth, metal, things like that, that look, but at the budget that we had. So a lot of the, the kind of things that she would put together were, you know, taking a lot of like my dad's work clothes and cutting them up into crop tops or taking his flannels and putting them, layering them over crop tops, taking his work pants and just ripping them up or spray painting them. She also worked as a, a flower shop girl, so uh, had access to a lot of different kinds of spray paints and dyes. A lot of that ended up not just on her clothing, but like in her hair. I actually make fun of her all the time for this. So my, my sister nowadays is definitely still that punk spirit, but has become like through the filter of a mother of two. So like recently I was just home in Chicago um, over Mother's Day, like the entire bottom half of her head was dyed red, like a bright like fire engine red. And I'm just like, yeah, of course. I remember being about, I want to say 13 or 14. Up until that point, I had pretty much just gone along with what everyone around me kind of thought was a thing I should be wearing. So whether that was my sisters or my mom, but I do remember very distinctly going to the mall and finding a Journeys. <laughs> and I remember just like seeing this pair of plain, simple, straightforward black Chuck Taylors. And I just remember like feeling like somewhere like a guttural, like I need these so badly. I, it doesn't even matter. I remember these Chuck Taylors were the first time that I had ever thought to myself, this is something that I genuinely really want. The Latino community in Chicago is in a bit of an oasis, I think. Especially now that I see what the community is like here in Los Angeles. I mean, moving here in 2016 was a solve. It was like taking, like stepping into a warm bath. Like, like I had not even realized what it would even be like to live in a predominantly Latino city. Chicago being so segregated and also the city itself being an oasis in this like landscape of the Midwest. It's like very unpopulated outside of major cities. So coming here to California was just, it was like coming to Disneyland or, or like visiting Mexico. You know, you just don't even understand like, oh, this is what I've been missing this entire, my entire life. In Chicago, it's like the assumption is that you are always outside of the norm. Things like The Smiths and Morrissey and The Cure, all of those bands have this similar sort of thread in that they evoke a lot of emotion, which culturally just sort of 
marries up and makes sense. A lot of Mexican music in general is about the same sort of similar themes, right? I think Morrissey in specific has a lot to do with like, you know, growing up working class, being heartbroken a lot, things that Latino people can relate to. Now living here in Los Angeles, where it is such a vast Latinx experience, it actually is so much more comfortable to be in this sort of weird rock punk look because there's so much more of a chance that there's other people like that. There already is a huge like Latino punk scene. So it's not really strange to see someone who whose body looks like mine dressed like, like me. Whereas in Chicago, it might, it, it's not entirely out of the question, but it's definitely rarer than, than here in Los Angeles, I think. Living in Los Angeles now, I really, really love these like really small fashion outlets that are Latina women owned and operated. So like Belladonna is one of my favorites, absolutely. I think that more than anything, more than any other culture or modern culture, the Latinx experience is so much about a coming together of different races, whether that is the African experience, the Spanish colonial experience, the indigenous and native experience, all of this coming together in in a, a way that is more so about blending. Of course, they're, they're in blending, there's always erasure. So there's also that sort of tragic beauty to it and as much as it is a celebration of life it's also a celebration of death and acceptance especially in Mexico I think that's just part for the course so so much about beauty is about this inherent or universal sort of tragic beauty it's it's never just nothing is what it seems I think that we talk about you know fashion or even trends in makeup it's always with that element of sadness that sadness is very much informed by waves of colonialism and genocide and wars and slavery and domination from different cultures, whether that is influence from you know European cultures or within you know the actual indigenous cultures themselves. The way that beauty is expressed in countries like Mexico, it is definitely through the lens of beauty in the face of struggle, in the face of strife. You can check out Angie's work at AngieHaime.com. So stay safe, enjoy the fireworks, and leave us a star-spangled review, because that's it for today's show. You can also join the Bustle Huddle Facebook group to continue the conversation. Next week, we're tackling the daunting topic of student loans and financial planning. How do we get out of this mess? Because interest builds up and like you got to take your head out of the sand. The Bustle Huddle is produced by Julia Shu, Michaela Heck, and Anna Parsons. I'm your host, Caitlin Aber, and I'll see you next week.